Hi, I'm Simon. I'm a writer and an entrepreneur. Welcome, Simon Dingle, to Quick Tech Chats right here on African Tech Roundup, man. Thank you. Thank you very much, Andile Mazugu. Ooh, that was that has to be the briefest self intro we've ever had on this show. I'm try, I don't like talking about myself, Andile. Ah, this guy. <laughs> like you didn't even throw in author, huh? I said I write. Oh, author did you say? Write. Did you say writer? See <laughs> now, nah, it was so short I don't even remember. So, <laughs> so I mean, we're on the call, uh, um, really, just to to catch up with. A very exciting development in your life. At this point, you're a good friend of the show. A villager. An African tech round of villager, no doubt. Um, but you are now... Uh, I beg your pardon? I said card carrying. Yes. If anyone ever stops you in the streets, just flash, just flash the people and let them pass, let you pass. Um, but dude, I mean, you wrote this book called In Math We Trust, The Future of Money, Bitcoin, Cryptocurrency, and the Journey to Being Your Own Bank. What's up, Fairy? Simon Dingle esque cover it's got like some minimalist vibes that i totally associate with <laughs> things you like um it's mostly black and yeah it fits in my hand um it's uh, i'm not through with it yet but it will be traveling with me um as i as i fly to europe in the next couple of days well done man thank you very much yeah, I mean, you, you'll you probably get through it in the first uh, or just after takeoff. It's a very short book and um, it's deliberately quite easy to consume because I think, you know, cryptocurrency is perceived as being a very complex subject. If you walk into exclusive books and you see a book on the shelf that, you know, looks like Game of Thrones about Bitcoin, you're probably going to walk the other way. True. So I wanted to make it concise, easy to read, and it's something that you can get through in an afternoon or a short flight maybe. Look, it definitely sounds like you. I'll tell you that. Um, it's literally, if, if, you, if people have never heard you on a podcast, speak at an event uh, or like in a meeting or whatever, this is literally your voice coming off the page about things that matter to you. Um, tell me why you'd write a book. Given, given well, your, your, pro, your sort of new media proclivities, why would you write a book? So I, I've, you know, cryptocurrency is something close to my heart. I've been messing around with it since about 2011. And I, I wasn't planning to write a book. It wasn't something that I was thinking about. Um, but my publisher, Tracy McDonald, uh, contacted me. And she said, look, I think it's, it's time to write a book. This was towards the end of 2017 when everybody was talking about cryptocurrency. Like yeah. literally everybody. I'd go to the beach. I'd hear people on the beach talking about it. I'd go to restaurants. The waiter would ask me about it. So... Um, she she thought it was a good time for a book that sort of cut through the crap and explained this to people, and I agreed, and so I, I wrote it. Um, and I've learned a lot from the whole book writing process. Uh, it is very weird having something out there that you can't log into and change. Yeah. But uh, um, yeah. But I, I enjoyed the process. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't put to, I don't spend too much time thinking about why. Uh, I just go with the flow sometimes, and in this case, it worked out. You actually point to something that I'm curious about because, I mean, the book obviously is available as an ebook as well. Um, but, uh, I mean, your, your roots are in blogging and, and podcasting and that kind of thing. How worried were you in writing this book that some of what you'd write would, wouldn't sort of age well? Or I suppose, you know, the thing with blogging or new media in general, social media, certainly, like we're all part of this ongoing conversation about everything, Right. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of happy times for those of us who, who have very strong opinions, but hold them lightly and are happy to sort of evolve them over time. When things are in a book, 
not so easy to do that and quite easy to be misunderstood, you know, when, when people are looking back on things. I think the, the pace of things today means that nothing really ages well, um, which brings some big questions about why books in the first place. But I did try to I did try to um, sort of escape the news cycle, not write too much about what's happening in the world today, um, just to to try and make it slightly more timeless um, than it would have been as a medium post, for example. So, I think if you're going to write a book, you owe it to that medium to think a bit about how long this is going to be around for and its relevancy. And so I like to think that you could pick up this book in 10 years' time and it would still be relevant when it comes to the roots of money because his, the history that we do know isn't going to change unless we make some uh, startling new discoveries. Um, but I, I like to think that it'll stay relevant, that it'll be a nice snapshot of what was happening in the world in 2018 from a, a money perspective uh, and still give you a nice background on where things came from and why they're so important. So I have I have tried to specifically write it to be Nothing is timeless, of course, but uh, to still be relevant for another decade or two, I hope, and maybe even longer. So, I mean, you mentioned 10 years. Um, you allude to 10 years. Is that how long you think it'll take for this new token economy you speak about in the book to, to be a thing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that's part of the way the world works now and will be for, um, you know, as far into the future as I can see. But you know, things phase and shift and, and nothing happens as quickly as we think uh, they do. And so I think we'll be on, on the spectrum of moving into this world for decades still to come. I think the central banks of the world will still be around for a while. Um, that seems obvious. And, um, and and I'll be there for the journey and so will the book and, and hopefully still be relevant. But But yeah, I mean, whenever a new technology pops onto the radar, things seem imminent and we think that they're going to change the world overnight. That's never the case. And I, I always love uh, going back to that quote that's attributed to Bill Gates. Uh, I don't know if Bill Gates really said it. It's like Abraham Lincoln said, 90% of quotes are misattributed. <laughs> but, but, but the quote is that we always overestimate the change that will happen in two years and underestimate what will occur in 10 years. And that's so true. I mean, if you think back to... Uh, just over 10 years ago, say 12 years ago before we had smartphones, we all saw this like mobile computing thing happen and there were brands like Nokia and BlackBerry and we were getting a sense of it. But I don't think anybody guessed that it would change the world in 2018 as much as it has. You know, this was before the iPhone and we didn't really see the stuff coming. So, you know, human beings are, are terrible at predicting the future, but we're very good at forging into it anyway. And so, yeah, I, I really don't know where we're going to be 10 years from now when it comes to cryptocurrency and this new token economy that you alluded to. But um, but I, I do think that it's going to have a massive impact in the world, even if I don't know exactly what the dimensions of that impact are. But why do you think the notion of sort of currency uh, and and blockchain-enabled currency seems to, to capture people's imagination more than pretty much anything else to do with blockchain? So the blockchain is, is cool technology and it introduced the idea of digital scarcity for the first time. So it's incredibly novel. You know, you and I and Dile grew up in a world with computers. Uh, but the, and the one thing that, that computers gave us, or digital computers at least, is, um, is digital abundance. You know, if I copied a file for you, now we both have a copy and then you could put it on the internet and 10,000 people could download it and now there's 10,000 copies and all of that abundance came from very little cost. It, it costs nothing to uh, copy and distribute 
digital goods or assets. Um, but what the blockchain introduced for the first time was a way for computers to stamp something and prove that they did some work. Uh, but it introduced this idea of digital scarcity. So for the first time, I could have a file and nobody else can have it. Only I have this piece of information. And if I send it to you, I don't have it anymore. And now it's yours. And that's incredibly novel. I mean, that wasn't possible until the blockchain. So the blockchain's cool technology and has captivated people's imaginations. But in the story of currency and specifically in the story of Bitcoin, the blockchain is secondary. It's an enabling technology, but it really isn't the headline. And I think there are a lot of uh, smart people who are opposed to uh, Bitcoin as a currency who have seen an opportunity to amplify the message of blockchain technology that is something that they could use in their antiquated central banking systems and use that to distract us from the fact that the headline is actually Bitcoin and the movement to a decentralized currency. And that's really the more important part of the story. And it's got nothing to do with technology. But, you know, this, the most important things in our world don't have anything to do. Well, not anything. I mean, technology enables them. But they're more about a story. Your smartphone is a story. It, it, it enables things in your life that feed your narrative about what you should be doing with your day, how you like to communicate, um, and it becomes a question of principles at some point too. And so what Bitcoin offers is a new rule book for money. It gives us a new story about how we value our trust in each other and how we make that trust mobile. And that's more important than blockchain technology. And of course, you know, blockchain is one way of doing this. There are alternatives um, that use different consensus models. Some of them aren't even blockchains like um, the Curl network, or sorry, the uh, the Tangle network that uses the Curl um uh, uh, um, encryption algorithm that's used by IOTA. Sorry, get, we're getting very technical there. But there, my point is there are alternatives to blockchains. There are other ways of doing this. Um, but what's more important is the story that they all tell and offer us. And so really, um, I mean, you have this love affair with Bitcoin, like straight up and down, um, clearly. And I think you've alluded to why. Um, you clearly vibe with the, the white paper the, the currency is based on, yeah? I do, Andile, and I also have some what may sound like extremist views, but if you look at the extent of human history, they're not extremist views. They're actually fairly moderate views about how we should be treating each other in this world. Um, and we live, in, we live in a very unfair society right now. Uh, it's not equitable. Um, we have a system of global apartheid where governments decide who's allowed to enter their pretend borders. They use visas, which is the modern version of a passbook, to keep people that they don't like outside of the zones that they don't want them to be in. And we all just accept this. We accept a government that says, give us uh, some of your money every month or we'll punish you, like the sheriffs of Nottinghood. And we've, we've grown up to believe that this is normal, that this system of taxation is okay, that even if we don't agree with what they're doing with the money, we still owe it to them and that they can punish us if we don't give it to them. These are terrible ideas. And an even worse idea is this idea that we have a central bank that decides how we're allowed to resolve debt in our country and then excludes millions of people from that system and says, you know what, if you're rich, we want your money, we want you to be part of the system, and we'll screw you over if you don't participate in it. But if you don't have any money, we'll screw you even harder, we'll push you to the outskirt of society, we won't allow you to have a bank account, and we won't allow you to transact digitally, and essentially screw you from the government. And 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 that that to if you don't mind me swearing that fucks me off, and it perplexes me that we've we've moved into a world where we think that this is normal and where we think that this is okay. It's not okay. 
Taxation is theft. It is theft. Now, I don't believe that we shouldn't be paying for communal services. I'm a big proponent of social welfare. I think that, you know, you should have a right to education and it shouldn't cost you anything. I believe that health care should be guaranteed. Um, so I, 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 on the spectrum of, of, of political philosophy, I find myself squarely in the camp of the social libertarian. But I do think that governments overreach. I think they've done a terrible job uh, with what the, the resources that we've given to them until now. And I think it's time to take back the power and to really think about what's okay and what isn't and who we want included in the system and get rid of this ridiculous situation of global apartheid that we have right now where the West lords over us with all of the resources that they came and pillaged from the rest of the world and then tells us where we are allowed to move within that dimension. Fuck them. So tell me, is this an ideological debate or pragmatic debate in your mind? Is, is this manifesto, which really is what it comes down to, this little book you've written, in your mind, is this a, a future that could exist or do you just want to, um, do you want it minuted that someone did not like how it's being done? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good, good job on pulling me back there, Andile. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, I do believe that this is a system that will exist. I think because it's the only right way for us to be living, we will get there eventually. And I think eventually you'll have enough people sick and tired of the way that the world is working right now, which is being brought to a head when we've got uh, people like Donald Trump rising to political significance and a lot of really bad things happening in the world's most powerful economy. So I, I do see us moving towards a new world that is more equitable, um, where uh, your right to move around this physical domain is is up to you, etc. Um, but it's gonna it's gonna be difficult getting there. And we have to deal with the here and now. And, and like you said, we have to be pragmatic. It's stupid not to pay your taxes in 2018. The downside isn't worth it. Um, and we have to be reasonable. There are a lot of good people in politics too. We've got an excellent uh, Reserve Bank governor in South Africa. Um, and in Africa in general, there's some politicians with a strong will to make things better for um, you know, the, the marginalized sections of society, etc. So I, I'm actually incredibly optimistic. Don't, don't mistake my anger with the status quo for cynicism. I, I, I know you too optimistic. well for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, I do believe we're moving into a better space, uh, and I am pragmatic about it, but I, I will express my, my very strong opinions nonetheless. <laughs> Um, yeah, so give me a sense of if Bitcoin is to become this global currency and enable some of what you've described, um, what needs to be overcome in practical terms? It's a great question. And as you've alluded to, we now have this sort of Cambrian explosion of cryptocurrency that's happened, and there are literally thousands of tokens available. And they're all which kind of speaks, which kind of, which kind of sort of undermines the whole notion of of what you're talking about, doesn't it? I mean, it's an enthusiasm, sure, but I think it's it's driven by you know a self interest or at least an interest in being in being dominant, which is counter to the whole democrat the the whole democratization thing. Demo so, democratization thing. Dang. <laughs> yeah. So so I don't entirely agree because a lot of these projects were designed for different reasons. So if right. we look at Bitcoin and we'll we'll come back we'll look back to it. But let's start with Bitcoin, which was designed to be a currency, designed to be sound money. That's very different from a project like Ethereum, which was not designed to be a currency. 
it was designed to be a global computing system um, that would replace something like Amazon Web Services over time and give you a decentralized application platform with a built-in economy, which is different from something like IOTA, which was designed as a currency for machines in an Internet of Things paradigm, which is very different from an ICO token, which was designed to get some bros very rich overnight. <laughs> um, or help people struggling to raise funds in tra by traditional means yes. actually do that. Yes, uh, that'll happen one day, hopefully, as well. Unfortunately, 99% of the ICOs that have launched so far <laughs> have been terrible ideas. Oh, well, I'm, very, yeah. I'm, very, I'm very optimistic about ICOs. But let's just stay with that train of thought because yes. my point is, yeah. um, you know, when we talk about cryptocurrency, we, we're describing a myriad of different things that were designed for different purposes. And we can't just point a stick at the pile of them all and go, oh, well, they're all the same thing. Solid no, point. They all use similar consensus mechanisms, but they're all very different things. Um, and some of them were created for privacy, like Monero, etc. The reason I think Bitcoin is still the leading project and the one that deserves the most support is because it has a better narrative than all of them. The one big downside that nobody talks about to so many of the cryptocurrency, um, specifically currency projects, is that they all have an ego involved. They all have a single person um, who is a, a point of failure for that project or perceived to be. And that's a problem because it, it takes us into the, um, the, the, the cult of personality. You know, you look at what happened when Steve Jobs died and everybody thought it was over for Apple. Some people still do. Um, if we go back to the cryptocurrency world, last year there was a rumor spread that Vitalik Buterin, who's the, the founder of Ethereum, that he had died in a car crash and the price of Ethereum went down overnight. You know, if one of these guys was exposed as part of the Me Too movement, people would probably not support their their currency because you know they don't that's want to exactly what i was thinking right i was like can you imagine um one of these guys have like a harvey weinstein level sort of or you know bill cosby level mm. sort of uh, pr disaster exactly but now back to bitcoin satoshi nakamoto is pseudonymous nobody knows who this person is he or she will never die <laughs> will never be exposed as a harvey weinstein is immune to this kind of thing and in that way, Satoshi Nakamoto has something in common with the myth that rules the old world of money, which is God, right? We trust the dollar because, because in God we trust. And God can't die. God can't be Harvey Weinstein. Well, we can get into the specifics of the Bible where he actually is all of those things. But let's, let's, <laughs> let's do not with, get me started, Simon Dingle. <laughs> do not get me started. But I take your point. I take your point. Yeah. So, 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 so Bitcoin's immune to all of those things. Um, it's a better form of sound money, but, but just to the interoperability point, uh, you know, there are a lot of great projects and Lightning is one of them, um, being led by the team at Lightning Labs, um, and Elizabeth Stock, but it's an open source project with contributors from all over the world. And it is interoperable between blockchains to a degree. There's also a lot of work being done on what we call atomic swaps, where you can literally uh, exchange tokens on one blockchain for tokens on another. And there's a lot of progress being made there. So I think in the future, you'll be able to uh, sort of choose your favorite currency, and that won't preclude you from using it as a medium of exchange with these other systems. Uh, you know, the future I perceive is that you'll walk into a coffee shop, and you might even have your own cryptocurrency that you've designed for a specific purpose called, you know, Undealer Coin. And you'll be able to pay with Undealer Coin. And if the merchant wants to receive Coffee Coin or Bitcoin or whatever else, that'll all happen automatically. And you'll be able to use your currency and they'll be able to accept theirs. And it'll be a beautiful world um, with thousands of projects that are all sustainable. And that takes us back to the old world of money. That's where money comes from. Each tribe had their own tokens and their own symbols. And we started trading those with each other. 
and uh, little cockle shells and uh, cowries and stuff. Yeah, and in, in Africa, baboon bones were a very popular form of money in the ancient world. We used what we had around us and what worked for us wherever we were in the world. And then it re- we relied on other people to agree whether or not they would exchange our, our goods and, and tokens for theirs. And I think that, that that's a perfectly good way of thinking about the situation. You know, maybe you live in a country where um, privacy is very important and that that is an important uh, feature of a cryptocurrency to you. Um, but you need a little bit of help because most people in that country have very simple mobile phones. And so you need a cryptocurrency with very low fees and that enables a very easy user experience. And perhaps it can be offline as well. So paper wallets are very important. But you want to be able to travel to a country that accepts something that's uh, more similar to, let's say, Bitcoin that's less private, etc. And you should be able to just you know, move between those worlds seamlessly. And there are a lot of projects in the blockchain space that are making that a reality. So I don't think interoperability is a big problem. I do think there's going to be a lot of consolidation and that, you know, a majority of the cryptocurrency projects that are blipping on the radar today won't even be around in 10 years from now. But I'm fairly certain that Bitcoin will be. Wow. I'd like us to wrap with this notion um, that's in your title, this journey to being your own bank. Um, We've also discussed recently on the show this this idealized notion of a future, an idealized future, really, of a time where we'll be able to trade our, you know, personal data, our personal digital data. We'll we'll be able to have agency over it um, and be able to to have control over, you know, its commercial exploitation. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, I know Musa Musa Kalenga, you know, my co-host on the show. Uh, uh, likes the idea of that of that notion. We've had various guests on our show speak towards it, um, including Marvin Colby of um, Raise Impact. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like it's got um, it's a parallel thought or a parallel idea, or parallel concept to this idea you write about, which is a journey to being your own bank. To some extent, it's becoming one and the same thing. Um, it, at least in my mind, because of you know this whole fintech wave, this the space race to, to to sort of fintech dominance on the African continent. We're seeing tons of some of the bigger some of the bigger sort of VC plays of recent months back, sort of fintech plays that have hectic sort of data analytics components to those businesses and so on and so forth. I don't know how you think of all of those things, and if if I'm if I'm right to to thinking about um, this being your own bank thing in the same vein. No, I, I think that it's uh, germane to the to the discussion. You know, being your own bank is uh, a fairly a fairly bold statement, and I think it conjures up a lot of ideas that don't align with reality. You know, banks are going to be around for a very long time, but there's a fundamental difference in the contract that you have with a bank, um, and it's something that I, I wonder how many people actually realize, which is when you deposit money into the bank legally, according to the government and the law of the land, that money is no longer yours; it now belongs to the bank. And yes, they owe it to you. If you try and withdraw it, they should give it to you. Um, But if anything happens to that money, if anything happens to them, and if government fails as a lender of last resort, they don't owe you that money back. They can wash their hands of it. It's their money. And being your own bank means flipping that on its head and actually taking control of your own money, storing it in a way where it legally is still yours 
and then transacting with the world on your terms when it comes to your money. Wow. Um, you know, for example, when you pay a merchant, you should be able to pay the merchant directly without having your money hop through three or four middlemen, which it currently does. If you wow. Do you know, I'm actually, sorry, as you're speaking, I'm sort of just replacing the word money with data. And I think everything you say applies still. Absolutely. Wow. Um, you know, you alluded to this whole world of, of um, data and, and, and it's, it's exactly the same. When you give mm. your data to um, Facebook, it no longer belongs to you. It's now Facebook's yeah. data. And that's written into law. It's their data. They can do whatever they want with it. Um, and that's, that's not cool. It's not okay. And it shouldn't work that way. And it's, not, and it's true for money too. Absolutely. But it's mm. also, you know, it, it's, it's a very big discussion. We could have an entire podcast episode Absolutely, just about yeah. that because there's, there's a discussion to be had about standards as well. I mean, imagine if you could only email somebody if they use the same email system as you. Imagine if you use Gmail and you could only email other people who use Gmail. I mean, that seems crazy, but everybody's fine with the fact that on Facebook, they can only message other people who are on Facebook. Why are we okay with that? Why yeah. isn't there a standard for social media? Yeah. And maybe email is a good enough standard for that. You know, there's a, there's a whole new world of decentralization and open standards that, you know, I, I, I think, again, back to the, the Bill Gates quote that I mentioned earlier, when I was in, in university and using Linux, I just thought this is obvious, open source and open data, this is going to be the future. And here we are, you know, 15 years later, and we're no closer to it than we were back then. In fact, we've moved backwards. I still think it's the future, but there's a lot of work to be done and, and a lot more discussions like this that need to be had. You know, we've acknowledged that data is the new oil. Um, so let's talk about leaks. What happens when oil leaks? <laughs> you know, people lose a lot of money and we need to make a plan. Um, but data leaks all over the world at the moment. And, um, and while there's certainly a lot of work being done to contain that, uh, we unfortunately, as the owners of that data, don't have much say in, in what's being done and we leave it up to authorities. I think the most important thing if we're going to uh, really unleash what the, the future and these new technologies hold for us, is for us to acknowledge that we're in charge. And that's true politically. It's true about data. It's your data. You're in charge. You elect the government. We're a democracy. We're, you know, in South Africa, we're the best form of a democracy and with our multi-party state. And people need to take charge of their own world. And so that's what being your bank means because it all starts with money. It all starts with economic control. How can you control your own financial universe? How can we disintermediate the middlemen that are making a lot of money for nothing and are more powerful than they should be? And how can we really start holding service providers, and that includes government, accountable? Um, and so it's, it's really just to try and stimulate uh, thought experiments in, in, in that direction. Is, is start thinking about it on a small scale. Let's say you had 50 rand and you moved it into cryptocurrency and started playing around with that. How could you secure that 50 rand? so that nobody can touch it, but so that your family could get to it if something happened to you, et cetera, et cetera. These experiments can start small, but they can lead to very big places for us as humanity if we start doing these things en masse. You know, I'll play devil's advocate for a moment and say, and sort of put myself in the shoes of um, a banker, you know, who, who's, you know, you know, at one of the larger sort of banking interests on the continent or anywhere in the world listening to us right now going, well, Everything you're saying, Simon, and a lot of what you've written in your book seems to undermine my right to 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 basically be a capitalist to benefit from the hard work me and uh, you know and and people I work with put into into doing business and the very good that our business actually provides the world you know by by way of ripple effect. Uh, in fact, I might even go as far as saying that your ideas 
seem to undermine the very notion of intellectual property and my right to create it and monetize it as I see fit and, and then redeploy whatever profits I make as I see fit. What would you say to, to me or, or someone in, who, who, who holds those views? I'd say the, that everything is a spectrum and that too often in the human mind, we tend towards binary thinking. So in this case, I'm not anti-capitalism. Capitalism has changed the world for the better. We now live in the most peaceful period of history, and our quality of life is better than it, it ever has been. Child mortality rates are lower than they have been at any point in history. 120 years ago, the richest person in the world didn't have a toilet in their house or electricity. Now, you can have both of those things in your house and you can still be considered to be poor. So all of that came from the free market and all of that came from capitalism. However, to say that it's a perfect system is just so short-sighted and stupid. And from my perspective, one of the downsides of capitalism is that it's fed our generation two very big lies. The first lie is that the sole purpose of a business is to grow and that an increase in profits alone is a, sig is a, is a signal of, of progress. The second lie is that if something is legal, it's also moral. That if the government has said it's okay and you can't get locked up for it, then it's okay to do. Forgetting that in history, that was true of believing the world was round and not the center of the universe. You could go to, you could go to prison for not believing those things. History is littered with bad ideas that were written into law. And so just because something is legal doesn't mean it's okay. And just because your company made more profit this year than it did last year does not mean you're doing a good job. How many lives did you change for the better? What was your impact on the environment? How are you treating your employees? Do you have a CEO who earns a multi-million rand salary a year while the, the people working for him or her, it's usually him unfortunately, in the company, um, can't make ends meet? And do you think that's okay? I don't care how much profit your, your company's making. What good is it doing in the world? And this idea that, oh, they're making a profit, so they must be providing value, is not right. They might be making a profit because what they're doing is borderline criminal and maybe outright criminal in the future. And so I think that, you know, if we look at the cherry tree of, of capitalism, there are a lot of good fruits to be plucked from it, but we need to get around these lies that have come with it and have made some people more powerful than they should be have, um, you know, sort of enforced the system of global apartheid that I alluded to earlier. Um, and of course, a lot of bad in the world and a lot of environmental destruction. So we can do a better job. It's not a binary thing. It's a spectrum. Um, I, in other interviews around the book, I've been challenged a lot around this idea of social libertarianism because it sounds like a contradiction in terms, but it really isn't. It means think about the best of both sides of the argument. There are very good things that are offered by socialism. Um, taking care of the poorest of the poor, making sure that children have a right to education that's guaranteed, uh, free health care, etc. You, you have to be outright stupid to argue against those things. You have to be ignorant. But on the other side of the fence, capitalism has changed the world. The free market and the fact that I can own a portion of a public company has brought some of the best things into existence that wouldn't exist without it. So we can just do better, I guess, is my point. And I'd like to see more people trying. With that vote for hybridity, I think you've secured <laughs> you've secured your your future as a, a keynote speaker within corporate South Africa and Africa at large. 
Uh, quite the opposite, unfortunately. Everybody just wants to get rich overnight. They all sleep until you tell them that actually green technology uh, makes them a bigger profit, and then they magically wake up and pretend to care about the world. <laughs> well, I guess what I meant was there were people who maybe um, who might have read the book or maybe tuned, uh, were listening into the to the conversation going we're not inviting him to come speak at all uh, who by now are thinking hey wait a minute um he might be worth listening to let's let's have him over and um thank you so much for being on the show as always man simon um you're just a blast to have on <laughs> let's just say uh, thank you so today. much man and all the best with this book um in math we trust the future of money bitcoin cryptocurrency and the journey to being your own bank uh by simon dingle available now anywhere uh, good books are sold, and if, um, if you can't find it there, well, certainly find it online. It's available as an ebook right now. Thanks again, man. Thanks, Andile. You, you're always one of my favorite people to speak to, and it's a pleasure as always. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs>